This is a HeadGum Podcast. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Factually. I'm Adam Conover. Thank you so much for joining me on the show once again. Before we get into this week's incredible interview with an amazing expert, I want to remind you that I am going on tour this year from March 23rd through 25th. I'll be in Austin, Texas. From May 5th through 6th, I'll be in San Francisco. Through May 11th through 13th, I'll be back in Texas in San Antonio. And from June 8th through 10th, I will be in Batavia, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. If you live in those places and you want to come see me, head to adamconover.net for tickets. I hope to see you there. I'm doing a brand new hour of stand-up. You're going to love it. I would love to give you a hug and a handshake after every single show. Hope you come out. And by the way, if you want to support this show, as always, you can do so on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash adamconover to get every episode of this show ad-free, plus a bunch of other bonus goodies. Thank you so much to everybody who supports. All right. This week, we're talking about civil rights, specifically trans rights. You know, it's a very scary time to be a transgender person or someone who cares about and loves transgender people in America today. There has been an unprecedented onslaught of transphobic legislation being pushed by anti-trans legislators in state houses across the country. There are bathroom bans, attempts to outlaw drag performances, which, by the way, are not an example of trans people anyway, but that's neither here nor there. And there are efforts to stop discussions of LGBTQ issues in schools. Worst of all, there are more than two dozen bills pending to restrict access to health care for trans people in 11 states. Republican legislators are literally trying to criminalize being trans full stop. And, you know... The fight for civil rights, especially the fight for LGBTQ civil rights, has been a long one in America with a lot of really dark periods. But still, this hateful, concerted effort to demean and destroy the lives of fellow Americans just because of who they are, just for wanting to live openly as themselves, is still shocking to me on some level because... It felt like, there was a moment that it felt like, just a few years ago, that this was something we had moved past, you know? It feels like we're being dragged backwards into a society that is less tolerant, less free, 
and more hateful. It's shocking and stunning, and I'm extremely troubled by it and extremely angry about it. So uh, this is a topic that I really desperately wanted to do on the show, and I'm so grateful that we got an incredible guest to help me piece through it. Their name is Shelby Chestnut, and they're the executive director of the Transgender Law Center, the largest trans-led civil rights organization in the country. So I think it's safe to say that they know the real deal about how trans rights are being attacked in America and what we can all do to fight back. So without further ado, please welcome Shelby Chestnut. Shelby, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So look, I've been tracking with uh, uh, great concern the uh, all of the anti-trans legislation that's been put forward over the past couple months uh, or past couple years, frankly. Um, but you know, this is just me as someone who's reading the news. You're the executive director of the Transgender Law Center. How does it look from your vantage point? Where are we on trans rights in America? Well, I think you're right to be concerned. Um, we have over 300 anti-LGBT bills introduced in state legislatures, and I believe over 130 anti-trans bills introduced in state legislatures around the country this year, and it's only the middle of February. So that's a month and a half into most legislative sessions. Wow. Yeah, so it's a busy time. Um, you know, the thing I try to explain to people is these are really concerning and they have deadly consequences in some states, unfortunately. And we also know that many of these states will not successfully pass yeah. anti-trans bills. So. I am both, I think, worried for our future, but also just super fortunate to work every day with trans people working to make everyone in this world safer and supported, but specifically transgender people. So it's both an exciting time and maybe too busy of a time for us um, to keep yeah. up with everything. Yeah, I mean, you say that not all of these bills will be passed. And, you know, I always, whenever I see... Um, on social media, someone will say, oh, uh, a horrible bill has been introduced X, Y, Z. I try to remind myself, well, you know, state, state legislators <laughs> can be crazy people. And, you know, it's very easy to simply, you know, write a bill and put it forward. It's a lot harder to get it passed. Um, but are there any specific bills that are being passed or, or have been passed that you're or particular states that you're concerned about that, that are examples that, that are like really live concerns? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a number of states that uh, we prioritize on an annual basis to look at. Um, obviously, Texas is a state that we're really focused on this year. They have an alternate every other year legislative session. And you might recall last year, they didn't even have a legislative session and their governor, uh, Abbott, with the Department of Justice introduced sort of... Uh, guidance on transgender people and the criminalization of transgender kids and their parents. So they basically mm -hmm. were looking to investigate parents who were providing supportive care to their transgender children, which, um, you know, in a country where so many trans kids do not have supportive homes to focus then on criminalizing the parents that are supportive of their transgender kids seems yeah. pretty ludicrous. And, um, really damaging to the sort of health and well-being of of both Texans, but setting a national precedent. You then sort of saw the governor of Florida uh, seek similar actions. And Florida has unfortunately passed just a sloth of bad 
things, um, you know. And then uh, something that happened this week, unfortunately, is South Dakota passed a transgender youth health care ban, basically saying, and the governor signed it into law, saying effective July 1st of this year, um, transgender kids will no longer be eligible to receive transition-related care. So whether that's hormone blockers or hormone replacement therapy, sorry, you need to, they're basically forcing young people to detransition. And I imagine the next phase would be to sort of criminalize and be punitive towards caregivers and family members. Yeah. So you're seeing these very regressive policies. And I think what's hard is so much of it is, is actual just misinformation. Lawmakers who know very little about what it means to be transgender are spreading spreading misinformation everywhere. Um, yeah. And this idea that, you know, transgender kids um, are not protected and it's they're somehow Republicans duty to protect them and make sure that they don't have access to the things that we know to be life saving. So it's like if you actually if some of these lawmakers like, I don't know, read a book or talk to people or, you know, even talk to trans kids, they'd realize that so much of what they're trying to control is really harmful that it's yeah. not true what they're saying about transgender kids and their parents and whatnot so i mean for us i can it might be helpful if i sort of take it back to a couple of years ago and how we got Please. here because yeah so you might remember 2016 barack obama was the president uh north carolina introduced house bill 2 which was the first sort of big high profile bathroom bill Yes. limiting transgender people from using a bathroom of the gender that they identify as. That wasn't successful across the country. States tried to introduce similar bills. Those weren't successful. There was a national outcry and a, and a boycott. Of, yeah, of, sure. I remember the bill. I don't remember the final status of it, but it was sort of widely seen as a failure uh, for that reason. Yeah. And then, you know, you had a lot of states that tried to do similar things. So they started with bathrooms, then they went to kids in sports. So trans kids in sports. I mean, like what is like more un-American than trying to limit kids doing sports? I mean, it's like the regardless of your gender, sports, doing sports and team stuff is like what you learn to how to, I don't know, work with others. Um, certainly it was like a guiding thing for me as a young person. I was a big softball player. Um, and then those didn't work. So now they're targeting healthcare. And I think what's concerning is they're targeting healthcare and then not only limiting people's access to healthcare, young people, they're continuing to raise the age in which they want to limit it. So some of these states are passing things that go up to 21. They're going to push to 25. You know, these are people that are adults, one. But then they're also criminalizing the very people who are going to provide that medical care or the people yeah. who are charged with caring for them as parents or caregivers, whatnot. So it's like every year there's some new egregious thing added to the pot and it's not successful. And then sometimes it is because I think it's sort of against the backdrop of the sort of what is the far right doing right now? And there's like sex of Republicans, there's like the regular Republicans and then the MAGA Republicans. It's just, yeah. every day we're sort of reading the news, like, is this really possible that this is happening? So a lot of what we do at TLC is work with leaders on the ground to be like, hey, what do you need right now? Um, whether that's communication support, whether that's training on how to talk to legislators, whether that's um, connecting them to resources around the country, 
um, thinking about their safety overall. Um, so it's it's a pretty fun time. And then we do impact litigation. So we get to um, put forward legislation to protect transgender people um, in key states. But when those rights are violated, we also get to take them to court um, yeah. and ensure people's rights are protected. Yeah. I mean, where do you feel this push against trans rights came from? Because, look, my, you know, I was born in the 80s. I lived through the mainstream acceptance of gay rights in America. When I was in high school, you know, I had one friend who, you know, I, I had one out lesbian friend in my high school. Um, and then by the time, you know, I was in my late 20s, we had, or my early 30s, we had, you know, the, the Obergefell uh, Supreme Court decision, right? I was like, wow, what an incredibly fast transformation that I, that I went through just seeing people's attitudes change. And from my perspective, I was like, you know, the T was in LGBT movement the entire time, right? <laughs> right? You know, I was like, hey, this is, th these folks are on the bus, you know, and this, this radical wave of acceptance throughout mainstream America um, seemed to uh, include trans folks. And that's why, you know, when, when there was that giant pushback against the North Carolina bathroom bill, um, it made sense to me that there would be. And so, you know, these like really, some of these really draconian laws that are literally banning private healthcare services from, from providing healthcare that have been provided, you know, gender affirming care has been around for decades. Um, it, it seems sort of sudden and surprising. Maybe it's less surprising to you than to me, but what do you credit it to? I mean, again, I think it's a lot of people are, it's almost as if like they take one issue and cross that word out and then make it, you know, we've seen the major gutting of abortion rights in this country in the last year and a half. It's almost as if now they've just said, oh, we're going to cross out abortion and we're going to instead put transgender healthcare or transgender people. And I think it's, they're using a sort of fear-based mentality to demonize, criminalize spread misinformation around a group that a lot of people don't know. You know, I, I think you and I are similar ages. I was born in 1981. Um, I came out very young, both as queer and as trans, super supportive family. Um, and, you know, my experience growing up was a lot of pushback. And I think, you know, we have seen some advances, certainly with like uh, uh, marriage access being sort of law of the land. We've actually had some good Supreme Court decisions regarding transgender rights as it relates to employment. You know, there's some federal recognition recognition of LGBT people, but I think part of it is people fear what they don't know. And when they don't know um, something, they create all kinds of myths and legends and misinformation. So if you think about it generally, like how many, what do you know about transgender people as like a cis person is what I ask people often. And a lot of times people's first sort of understanding of transgender people is from TVs, movies, shows, those sorts of things. And it's often the like damsel in distress, the sex worker. Mm -hmm. That's a sort of original image we see. Um, particularly if you grew up in the 80s, there's a great documentary that um, Laverne Cox produced called Disclosure. And it's talking about the sort of history of transgender people in television and film and you know, being a child of the 80s, like I realized so many of my favorite films and TV shows all were derogatory to trans people. And at the time I was like, oh, whoa, I didn't know, you know, when I was a trans person. And then fast forward, it's like we've seen sort of more 
more general general acceptance, I think, but it's I would say greater visibility, not acceptance. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing yeah. more transgender people, whether it's the television show Pose, which was like criti- critically acclaimed, super successful, an amazing show if you haven't watched it. You also see folks like Laverne Cox on the cover of Time Magazine, the transgender tipping point. Um, but at the same time, the story that isn't getting told is the deadly violence that transgender people are facing and the sort of what we would call social determinants um, of health. So whether that's jobs, housing, food, all of that, transgender people have much less access than than any other peers of their social circles. So they're much more likely to experience things and, and experience discrimination. And then you sort of add race on, on top of that. And it's like, you look at yeah. the intersections of racism and misogyny and homophobia and transphobia. Trans people are really sort of the crux of it all and experiencing the most. But I think part of it is people can't understand that young people today are so much more expansive with gender identity and sexual orientation. You know, I don't know if you have kids or your friends have kids, but it's like, they're very clear that um, we need to be expansive and accepting and welcoming to people. Whereas, you know, I grew up in a generation that was like, there's two genders and that's all that there is. And yeah, I think because of that, there's like the adult hysteria almost of like, oh, we talk about this so much. It's like so visible. Our, our kids are going to become trans. It's like, well, your kids might very well be trans or become trans. And if anything, we need to just be supporting them. So you have a lot of lawmakers who have decided that this can be a wedge issue that they'll win by talking yeah. about and pushing and they don't actually know anything about it that's that's the really wild part of it to me it's like they don't actually know transgender people they don't actually know what they need and you know transition related care is like a, a term that we hear a lot and what i like to say to people is like everyone needs gender affirming care like you know you go to the doctor and you need gender affirming care because you have specific things going on with your body. I go to the doctor. I need gender affirming care because I have specific things going on with my body. It's like, literally, we all need gender affirming care. It's just going to the doctor um, and knowing that I can tell them the things that are going on with me, ask them for the support that I need, and they can continue to monitor my health and well-being based on those facts. Um, But somehow it's like this whole idea that the doctors are, are doing terrible things and we have to protect everyone. And it's like, that's just not really what it's like. I mean, I think everyone right now is struggling to get medical care in a society where we've seen the sort of failures of the medical system in the last three years. I don't know. I can't get into my doctor to save my life. I don't know about you, but yeah, it's like a three month wait. Yeah. It's hard enough already. And yeah. now, to have legal barriers put in place as well. I mean, tell me about the, the, you know, we were talking about places like Texas and South Dakota for, for, uh, you know, trans folks who are seeking gender affirming care and, uh, parents of, uh, you know, trans kids who, who are trying to support their kids. What are the, what are the specific barriers that they're facing right now? Because a lot of times I read what's in the headlines again, you know, you said a year ago in Texas, but uh, you know, it falls out of the headlines. I'm sure you're tracking it much more closely. Well, I think what's happening is one big thing will be in the headline and then all these states sort of copycat it and then creates this sort of mass upheaval of very copycat legislation. 
And to be clear, it's like a few far right lawmakers that are pushing these things, whether at the Senate level, whether at the legislative level, whether at the government level, you know, it's state specific. Um, I think the thing right now that uh, would for me be really helpful to hear from is what is the federal government doing to sort of calm this? Because, you know, we have a super supportive, affirming federal government. They care about many of the issues that I'm sure you're talking with people that come on your show with that I'm working on behalf of. But they also could just stop some of this stuff and say, no, like we're not going to allow these things to continue to move forward. Parents shouldn't be facing potential child abuse charges for supporting their 10-year-old transgender kid who is going to school like everyone else, has their annual checkups like everyone else. Yeah. And the only difference is they might be talking with their healthcare provider that oh, sooner rather than later, I'm going to go through puberty. What are my options to ensure that puberty looks like something healthy and affirming for me as a transgender person? I mean, let's just be clear. Puberty sucks for everyone. We've all gone through it at some stage in our life. Some people have gone through it twice, like myself. It is hard. Could you imagine being in middle school and being transgender and the normal middle school dramas? Because that was enough. (laughs) And then add on to it, lawmakers and school officials are trying to basically say you're not allowed to exist. I mean, we're adding to these numbers of high suicide rates, low college attendance rates, low family acceptance rates. It's like. I always be in a situation where your, your school that is supposed to be caring for you and educating you is literally treating you with suspicion or hostility, um, just like that basic emotion, you know, in addition to whatever the actual legal barriers are. But I can imagine how many, you know, trans students are facing that sort of environment. That would be incredibly hard. Well, or, you know, the whole critical race theory debate in Florida and the African-American studies, it's like, you know, it's like we're not asking for special treatment here. We're literally asking that we include everyone. Uh, all citizens, all genders in our curriculum and in our learnings about things. Like imagine what a world we'd live in if we actually just took the time to be educated on what other people are experiencing and the histories that have gotten us here. Um, So for me, I think what's exciting about these moments that are so hard in, in politics is the ways that we can see the intersectional connections, whether we're talking about reproductive health, whether we're talking about trans rights, whether we're talking about critical race theory, whether we're talking about sort of voter suppression issues, like these issues are all yeah. connected. And yeah, they're coming for everybody. Truly. And so for us at like TLC, Trans Law Center, what's exciting is we have so many different projects that focus on different areas of work that all come together. Like we have our we have a project that's one of our newer projects called the Disability Project. So it's um, working to sort of promote and understand issues that are impacting transgender people with disabilities. And we're doing we're launching a needs assessment survey on that. We have a project called Positively Trans. So it works to support the intersections of trans people who are living with HIV and creating both community, but then demanding policy change on to some extent, global levels. We have a partnership with some organizations that's doing work at the southern border, which is helping transgender migrants seeking safety and asylum in the United States. 
we have like a policy team, we have a litigation team. So we, it's just like amazing to see how these issues overlap. Yeah. And um, we, we are not a single issue sort of society. And I think that that's what some of lawmakers are trying to make that it's like, well, we only want a society that's going to serve a very select few people, but Hey, turns out this country is really saying, no, we're not a single issue country. Yeah, all of us have the same issues, and we we're interconnected. So, yeah. as much as some of these bills, like the every day something gets introduced, I'm like, did that really just happen? It's also just so special to see the way people are uniting together to sort of talk about the intersections of these issues. So, yeah. Uh, well, on that note, we got to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with more Shelby Chestnut. Okay, we're back with Shelby Chestnut. Um, before the break, you were talking about uh, where is the federal government on this? And uh, I- I'd love to talk about that a little bit more. It, it kind of reminds me of how you know, the federal government has been slow on every civil rights issue in American history to a large extent. If you look at you know, what was happening during the uh, you know, civil rights movement for black Americans, you know, the, the, the yeah. federal government, you know, you have a... A uh, federal government run by, you know, JFK and LBJ, where, you know, where it says they're allied with civil rights leaders and they're pleading with those presidents, please, you know, send to the National Guard or do whatever you have to do. Federal government is reluctant to, you know, start a war with a governor who is, you know, chosen this like minority group to oppress, right, as as like a political issue. It, it seems like a very age-old story in America. I, I don't know if you see that connection, uh, but how do we, you know, how do we ultimately win that battle and get the federal government to protect Americans as it's meant to do? People have become the wedge issue. And I think overall, majority of Americans support transgender people. Um, that said, we don't have federal protections, but what we do have is a Supreme Court win um that basically the Bostock decision through the Supreme Court, so it was the transgender employment case that basically said transgender people are a protected class. So what we could do right now and what the federal government should be doing is ensuring that all federal agencies are implementing the sort of wins of that Supreme Court case in all federal agencies. Mm. You know, and I don't want to say that like the feds are doing nothing. There's amazing work happening in different sort of sectors of the government. Like the Treasury Department has pulled um number of LGBT groups into the Build Back Better America, whatever, I can't remember what it's called, the COVID relief funds um, and sort of building back the economy. You know, and there's amazing people in positions of leadership throughout the government who are LGBT. Um, But at a certain point, we need to sort of stop playing to the far-right Republicans and say enough is enough. Like, this is a country where people should be protected and we're going to implement these changes. And just as much as, you know, the former president um, did an executive order every week, there's many executive orders that could be put in place to explicitly protect transgender people. And, you know, there's also issues that aren't necessarily seen as transgender issues that are really connected Um, I think every um, federal administration has struggled to figure out immigration reform that is centering people seeking safety in this country. And Mm -hmm. 
we're, and again, this crossroads for how do we deal with the immigration crisis in this country? And it's simple. It's let people in who are seeking safety and, and a new life to support their family, whether it's here or abroad into this country. I don't know if you know this, but like most transgender people that um, come into this country seeking asylum. So they're fleeing violence and persecution in their countries of origin. They're coming here because it's safer for them, which is slightly ironic seeing as how the federal the federal government doesn't really protect transgender people. And most state legislatures are actively seeking to dehumanize and criminalize transgender people. Yeah. But it is safer in, in many senses. Um, they're often pace, placed in immigration detention. And these are people who are literally just seeking safety. And when they come into this country and they say, I am coming here to seek safety because I am transgender, they are placed in prison. And why would we be doing that? Um, you know, I think really easily and quickly, the federal government could end the use of detention for people seeking immigration relief in this country. They're choosing not to. Um, but especially transgender people who, you know, there's many studies um, pointing to the fact that transgender people are not safe in prisons and detention centers. They face sexual violence from other inmates. They face sexual violence and discrimination from guards who are hired to protect them. They're often placed in solitary confinement because they are not safe from other populations. So if those are the conditions that people are living in um, while they're seeking safety in this country, um, we have a problem on our hands um, because they could, there's many community groups, there's many family members, there's many just people who are willing to support people coming to this country seeking safety. And, and that's very easy. They could just let people come in. Um, not rocket science, but here we are. We continue to have a crisis at the southern border. We continue to have a crisis for people seeking safety in this country. I mean, you, you get my point. Yeah. I also wonder if, uh, you know, you said that there are uh, really, really excellent public servants or people in the government, uh, you know, placed throughout who are working on these things. It reminds me of uh, we had the scholar Paisley Curra on who uh, talked with us about how uh, you know, in terms of the definition of gender or sex uh, is like very, very different from agency to agency that like, you know, how how those terms are mediated, like depends on whether you're talking about a prison or a hospital or a DMV or, you know, uh, like the, the ways that we divide people up or the ways that we enforce, you know, a binary or or et cetera can be really different from organization to organization. Um, and it makes me wonder how many, like, you know, quiet victories it's possible to have that, uh, you know, where like, uh, uh, you know, I assume that's something that you work on, like making it possible for trans people to, you know, participate in society in a particular area that is like not hotly in the news, but, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, good, good change can be made at. Is that question vague enough? <laughs> Yeah, it's vague enough. I mean, like, I'll give you an example. Like yesterday, there was an executive order that uh, President Biden signed, and it was looking at um, increasing funds to underserved populations through different grant, federal grant funding, mm -hmm. which was huge. And it prioritized racial justice, which obviously is a priority in this country. But it also includes LGBT people um, and a variety of other groups. And it's like things like that, where it's like people explicitly naming that these groups are underserved um, is yeah. one an avenue. But then two, um, linking back to the sort of implementation of the Bostock Supreme Court ruling, 
that's where it's critical because it basically lays a framework that's like this could be implemented across all federal agencies trickling down to the state i mean we know how the government works it's like the feds are up here they make decisions trickles to the states the states can implement it you know we have some sort of rogue agents in the state governments um but they're they're not all like that i mean it's all comes down to money it's like you got to do certain things to get money from the feds at a state level um so it's like in in those ways um you know and and for us i think what is kind of just amazing to see is how transgender people like aren't just both in an advocate role but are in all sects of society you know we have people yeah. in film and television we have people in classrooms we have people working in nonprofits we have people working for corporations and um many groups are coming out proactively to sort of say like we not only stand with transgender people but we're committing to supporting sort of transgender people in employment um because people should be free to do what they want to do you know whether that's go to school whether that's have a job uh, go to college um and i think again we have a lot of lessons to learn from young people here um and I think sometimes we approach supporting young people like, oh, we have to protect them. And it's like, no, we need to show up for them because they really have the answers right now. I mean, you talk to any young person and they're like 10 times smarter than I am and have like figured out everything they need to know about the society on TikTok or YouTube or whatever. <laughs> and like can give you like a PhD in whatever topic you're wanting to learn about that day. So, yeah. I mean, there's that necessity. I, I, you know, the some of the trans folks in my life have talked about the necessity of becoming an expert uh, in your own healthcare, in your own, you know, legal rights and and things like that, which is very impressive, right? I'm like, like profoundly impressed by my friends who have had that uh, uh, have that ability. But that's also a huge burden to to place totally. on people to to ask someone to be an expert in their own healthcare. That's not. A burden that I have, you know, yeah. uh, uh, that, that I have to deal with. I get to go to the doctor and say, sure, whatever you say, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that that to me is kind of what some of this comes down to is I, I think so much of this legislation, it's it's seeking to drive people underground or behind the yeah. scenes and live in the shadows. And I think what what LGBT folks and trans people specifically have been doing for generations is to say, we're not going to live in the shadows and like, we don't need rights to ensure our survival. And, you know, I think often about COVID and what, what COVID did to so much of society, we sort of function as this singular society and sort of survival of yourself. And, you know, but we all lived in neighborhoods and had neighbors and family members and like the communal sense that I think COVID forced the U.S. to sort of be part of in a way that it doesn't always like to be. For me, was not really a change from how I've seen LGBT people and specifically trans communities look out for each other forever. Like trans people have had mutual aid networks in place since time was created because it's what they need to survive. So this like very new phenomenon that a lot of people were thinking about, like, oh, I actually know my neighbor now. Like I offered to go get them groceries because they're 85. Trans people have been doing that forever um, because yeah. no one else was doing it for them. So to me, it's almost like, how do we have this sort of social reckoning as a whole um, and maybe not go back to the same things that we've done for generations as we sort of reemerge, I don't know if we're in a post-COVID society, it just seems to be something we're living with now, but 
like saying hi to your neighbor and actually checking on them. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I'm from a small town, so that's like something I do naturally, but it's a novel concept to a lot, particularly those in cities. Like, oh, I don't even know my neighbor, but we've been next door to each other for 25 years. Yeah. So. I mean, you said uh, that that change is really profound and that sort of injection of that part of the culture into a more, you know, the uh, into the wider culture has been really powerful. You said that trans folks are refusing to live in the shadows. Um, and it makes me wonder if, you know, what we're seeing now, all these, you know, anti all this anti-trans legislation being proposed or passed, et cetera, um, I mean, if this is a backlash to the increased visibility, the increased refusal to to live in the shadows. Um, and that makes me wonder which is more powerful, you know, because the backlash is frightening and there isn't a, a huge counter to it. You know, Biden isn't up there at the State of the Union saying, hey, we're going to, you know, like full throatedly protect the rights of, uh, of, of trans Americans and trans people. Um, but. Uh, you know, at the same time, I, I do have to believe that sometimes often the backlash is weaker than the original movement. Not always, but um, uh, I mean, do you have a, uh, <laughs> is it, do you have a feeling of, of uh, optimism about that or? I mean, totally. I mean, it's, we're, we're not going anywhere. We, we've been yeah. here since really time was created. You know, I'm here, I'm at a conference in California and I'm in San Francisco and I'm in the transgender district. It's the only transgender district, I think, in the world. Um, mm. And, you know, trans advocates who really have fought for generations in San Francisco to make sure that all transgender people around the country, but specifically transgender people here, have rights and protections. You know, San Francisco has some of the most progressive policies in the country, in the world for transgender people. There's a transgender district and it's like, you know, I mean, it's both yeah. physically and visually there. And it's not only transgender people walking around and to see the work that they're doing, um, you know, and the, a group here um, that's been here for years working with um, incarcerated transgender people and sort of abolitionist framework. They just bought a building in San Francisco, you know, wow. to to keep the longevity of their organization. And like that to me is, that's what happens when you invest in sort of trans futures um, and build that trans power is it becomes a fabric of society that is no longer sort of a fringe issue or a, we're over here and you're over there. It's like, no, we're just, we're in this together. Um, yeah. Cause you know, people have this idea that like transgender people are asking for special rights. Like, no, we're literally just asking for the same rights that most people have um you know yeah. and to be clear there's a hierarchy and sort of oppression of of rights in this country um but we just want everyone to be protected and to live authentic lives yeah well we have to take one more break we'll be right back in a moment with shelby chestnut as a factually listener you're probably aware of my unwavering commitment to online privacy well delete me has been an indispensable tool for me for many years, long before they even started advertising on this show, I've been using their wonderful service. In today's digital landscape, you know, it's alarmingly easy for data brokers to traffic your personal information online. In fact, I would almost guarantee that your personal information is on multiple data broker sites on the internet right now. It's not even the dark web, it's the regular web. These data brokers may be peddling and exchanging your name, 
phone number and home address all without your knowledge. And trying to locate and remove all this data yourself can feel like an impossible task because there can be dozens of these sites. But that is what Delete Me does for you. Delete Me's team of experts scours the depths and the breadth of the internet to locate and remove your personal data. Within just seven days, you'll receive a comprehensive report detailing their findings and what they have removed. It can be hard to believe, but approximately 41% of Americans find themselves vulnerable to various forms of online harassment, and this means doxing, scams, and even identity theft, all of which pose significant threats to your financial security and could potentially derail career opportunities. I mean, I used to get weird people calling my cell phone all hours of the day or night until I signed up for Delete Me and it cut it right out. So if you wanna safeguard yourself like that and live with the peace of mind that experts are hunting down and removing your personal information every three months, then check out Delete Me. Go to joindeleteme.com Adam and get 20% off for all consumer plans with the code Adam. That's joindeleteme.com Adam. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. Okay, we're back with Shelby Chestnut. Um, let's talk about media depictions a little bit. Like, it, I, I have to say that, you know, despite these really relentless attacks from, you know, really highly placed right-wing politicians who very clearly are using trans people as political weapons, as wedge issues, um, you get the sense that they don't even really care that much. They just figured out that they can get a lot of headlines and, and et cetera off of it. Um, that, you know, the, the reporting about trans people in, in mainstream news outlets has been like not as, uh, I don't know, <laughs> strong or well-informed as I would like. How do you, how do you find it? Yeah, it's, it's abysmal. Um, you know, I mean, it's, I think people are taking steps to ensure the voices of transgender people. And there's amazing sort of leaders in transgender news, press, podcasts, you know, I mean, you can get all kinds of information, but um, let's talk for a minute about the New York Times. Um, they sure. have consistently run anti-trans articles by op opinion writers um, for the last couple of years in a moment where they're a national newspaper that people go to for news. And this week, um, over, I think, 100 organizations, 200 current and former um, contributors to the New York Times came out in opposition to say, like, enough is enough. Stop allowing anti-trans rhetoric to be put in your papers and broadcast globally to some extent. 
And what did they do the next day? They published an article talking about how they're in defense of J.K. Rollins. Yeah. It's like, come on. You know, and listen, I love playing Wordle. I times almost every day. You know, it is my source of news, but I think the cooking app is really good. It, oh, unfortunately, yeah. it's like a good source of recipes. I have to say, their their recipe for the brown butter Rice Krispie treats, it's, it's the best one if you haven't tried it. Um, <laughs> you know, but that said, I think they have an obligation to really be being pro-trans right now and sort of debunking this misinformation that is coming out there. But they're unfortunately they're adding to it. Um yeah. And when you have this piece of like, well, this transgender kid, you know, like damsel in distress, it's like, no, like, could you imagine how much courage and and clarity you need to have as a 10 year old to know that you're transgender and to articulate that to your parents, to your classmates, to your teachers, and you have to go out every single day and live in a world where People will say things to you. People will harm you. You might get discriminated against at the doctor, at school. You might be told you can't use a bathroom. Like, if anything, right now, what we should be doing is creating increased safety measures so those kids can go to school safely. Because I always share this story, and it's sort of like cheesy, but some years ago, I was in Texas, uh, 2017. It was uh, one of their first anti-trans bills that was introduced. I was at like some sort of cookout convening. I was I was new to the Transgender Law Center. And I was just so excited to be in Texas with trans Texans and parents and family and friends. And there was like a lot of uh, coalition work between immigration groups and trans groups at that time because they were both facing anti-trans bills. And this young girl comes up to me and my name tag said TLC. That's sort of what we're abbreviated as. And she goes, oh, you work for TLC? I was like, yeah, I help transgender people. And she said to me, oh, I thought you worked for the the television company that has the dinosaur show. (laughs) And, you know, it was this moment where I was like, oh, this like young, this eight-year-old trans kid is more interested in the dinosaur show (laughs) on the, I don't even know what TLC stands for, but the learning channel. Is yeah, the learning channel, the not tender, loving care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's what her priority was. And that to yeah. me is like, I, I say that because it's like, what kind of world could we have if trans kids could just be kids and they could yeah. play and they could go to school and being trans is like secondary to who they are. You know, I don't wake up every day and be like, the only thing that I am is a transgender person. Um yeah. You know, I wake up just like everyone else. I get coffee. I'm like, oh, what's in the news today? You know, what's the weather like? Yeah. But this idea that like we've got some agenda and we're trying to convert the masses, it's just it's just not true. Um, And particularly with young people, it just feels unusually cruel to be targeting children. um, Yeah. When really all of us should be protecting young people. Everyone. Yeah. And when you look at the cut, co- when you look at the weight of the coverage, you know, it's it's article after article of whose perspective is centered and whose, ha- you know, who whose harm is centered. Like, I understand that, look, there's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be parents in America who have concerns. It takes them a little while to get with it. You know, they they w- w- right. Like, that's the type of person that exists in America. That person's concern can be newsworthy. Right. But uh, after seeing article after article that that centers that person, oh, I, my kid said they're trans and I was so worried and upset and I didn't know if it was right and da 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 da. 
when you see after you've seen article 10 like that you're like where's the article about the kid <laughs> you know where's the article uh, it reminds me of uh you know i follow homelessness coverage here in los angeles a lot and it's like there are neighbors that are afraid of homeless encampments. They see an encampment that makes them afraid, you know, and that's a real fear. And so if you're a journalist, it might make sense to occasionally write an article, hey, a neighbor is afraid. Neighbors say they're afraid. But if that's the only article you write and you never write the article about the people who live in the encampment, who are at who are the ones who are actually at risk of violence and, you know, the people whose tents are being sent, set on fire by arsonists, the people who are being murdered, you know? Yeah. Um, those are the people who are really being harmed. If you're only centering the people who are, like, feeling a little bit afraid inside their houses, you're doing a disservice to the truth. And you're doing a disservice to the rights of the people who need their stories told. And, and that's what I see so much in the media is, um, you know, it's not just the individual story. It's the centering of the same, you know, concerned, oh, I'm just a little concerned parent over and over and over again that is missing the, the, the deeper, more important story about the person who actually actually is vulnerable. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's completely true. And I think part of it also is like we don't highlight um, the support of parents who, right. you know, they had a kid who was clinically depressed not wanting to go to school, didn't feel comfortable. And then the second they were able to articulate like, hey, I think I'm transgender. And the parents did the work, the hard work, you know, to figure out what it means to support their transgender kid, that they're thriving in school, their grades go up, their social interactions go up, you know, but we're also creating conditions in these states where people are fearing for their safety as parents, but their child's safety if they do speak out in support of them. And so that's where it to me goes back to this, like, we can't create conditions where people have to go underground and live in the shadows Yeah, for just living their truth. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not anything fancy or special. It's just like, oh, hey, I, I know I'm transgender. I think there's probably some resources that I can get. And to be clear, like a lot of young kids, it's a social transition. So it's like, you know, I'll give myself as an example. I was born, I was assigned female at birth and very young. Um, I dressed like my brothers. I act like my brothers. I like begged my mom we to get vans. My brothers had vans. So we all had the same color vans mm -hmm. and she would just embroider our names in the backs because we all had the same size for a while. So you didn't like wear the wrong kid's shoe. And it was like things like that, that I could wear vans like my brothers that made me feel like, oh, okay, like I fit in. Or, you know, I remember um, I loved clothes as a kid, but um, you might recall this if we're born in the 80s when Massimo was like a, a big fancy brand and then they were bought by Target. But I wanted the Massimo jeans before Target bought Massimo. And I like, I, I mowed a lot of lawns to buy those Massimo jeans from the boys department. Let's just say that. Um, I mean, but like, that's like, for me, what it was like being a trans kid, you know, I didn't have the yeah. words necessarily, but like, I wanted to dress like a boy. I wanted to do boy activities, you know? And that may look different for every kid. And then there's like a lot of kids that don't want any of that. They just like, okay, gender is a construct. Like let's deconstruct it and create something new entirely. You know, yeah. I think everyone should just have that expression um, to figure out what fits them. Yeah. And it's, it's a wonderful thing that, 
you know, more kids are, are having that opportunity, not as many as, as should, but, or, you know, more kids are being welcomed in that way. Uh, you said, uh, that, you know, folks can, can look for resources. Like if, you know, what are the, the resources available to, you know, kids or, or parents of, uh, transgender kids in some of these really restrictive States and, you know, uh, for, uh, kids and parents in places like Texas and Florida, like, uh, how, what are the resources that are available to them and, and what help can they get? Yeah, I'll give you, I'll lift up an organization that I think is just doing critical work and they're kind of approaching it from multi angles. So that's called the transgender education network of Texas, AKA tent. Um, and they do sort of policy advocacy with transgender people, adults and young people. And then they also have like a, a parent support network. So it's people who, you know, they didn't know anything about this. Their kids said, Hey, I'm trans. And now there's a network of parents just working to support each other. Um, they're doing amazing work. There's national organizations out there. Um, you know, there's all kinds of online chat groups. You can always go to transgenderlawcenter.org and just learn about our resources and support. Because for us, um, we do a lot of work just generally within trans community, but then and we have a partnership and have for many years with the um, Gender Sexuality Alliance, the GSA Network, and it's called Truth. It's our trans youth project. So we work to pull trans youth together of community building and lifting up of each other's voices and young people get to meet and build together, which like is just so critical. And those are young people from all across the country. Um, and they have a couple of other different initiatives with trans young people, which I just feel so humbled when I get to be in space with young leaders. Um, you know, I'm at this national LGBT conference right now and seeing young people walk around the conference hallways and like go to these workshops. It's like my life would have been pretty amazing had I been able to uh, attend something like that as a young person. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I came up in a time pre-internet. Um, I remember I used to go to the record store in the town I grew up in and they had a lavender magazine and they would have LGBT coffee shops and I would like take the bus really far to go to these like, <laughs> you know, LGBT coffee shops, which like I was just hungry for information. And like, you know, you had to find yeah. scenes then and now it's like you can just go on the internet and find anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I often I often have the same thought. I mean, uh, you know, as a as a straight cis person that I, my life well, I, I'm envious of kids now because like my life would have been richer had I had, uh, you know, that experience had I had those peers and those friends and been a part of that culture. It was a, you know, it was a more sort of impoverished time in that way. Uh, yeah. there, you know, the scope of, of experience was more limited and, and, you know, what a shame that was. And it's such a, to me, it's such a, a, a gift to, to you know, now be alive at a time when when so many more people are expressing themselves, when I have so many friends who are, and I can you know sort of partake in and experience that. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think that that's where like the far right and this like you know you're forcing kids to become things that they don't they don't have the ability to decide. It's like one, young people can decide what they want to decide, and we should support that. But also, it's not like something that you're just going to like randomly decide to take on, you know, it's like to what you're saying, it's like I have friends of all different social circles. And to me, it's like we all have different experiences, but the common thread is that we like enjoy spending time together. And, you know, I learn things from all kinds of people. Um, 
yeah. doesn't mean that I'm going to become them if I spend time with them. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, so very, it's simple, you know, like that's the thing that's hard. It's just like, really, this is like what we're debating. Yeah. I mean, it seems like such a fundamental, you know, normie American value, you know, freedom, freedom of personal expression to, to be who you are. It's, it's very basic when you get down to it is what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, it's like, what we do at TLC is like we keep transgender people alive and thriving. That's that's our yeah. that's our mission, um, you know. And that means like we're rooted in certain things, but like we want we want everyone to be alive and thriving. Yeah, we don't have well, like a secret agenda or I don't know trying to convert someone into something. It's just like people know they're trans and they face a lot of barriers in doing that, you know, and I, yeah. I'm thankful every day that I had a supportive family. Um, yeah. I experienced a ton of bullying and a lot of really sh shitty things in school. I don't know if I'm allowed to say shitty. Um, you are. You certainly are when describing things like that. But, you know, I could go home and I could dress how I wanted to dress. I could talk to my family about the things I needed to talk to them about. And I wouldn't be alive today had that not been the case, um, you know, and now we have an opportunity to both have protections for young people in schools, encourage people to have supportive families, and there's resources for families, there's resources for young people, there's resources for adults. It's like, you know, to your point around the doctor, it's like all doctors should be trained to provide care for patients. And if you need to take a special seminar to know how to talk to transgender people, Great, do it. Um, just like you're trained as a medical provider to ask questions like if somebody's in a domestic violence relationship and so they could, in the doctor setting, disclose something that they probably couldn't disclose otherwise. Yeah. Have the tools and language to know what it means to support a person who might be saying that they're transgender and they need help. Yeah. Well, look, for folks... For folks who uh, are listening and, and you know want want to be supportive, I hope everyone listening does. If you've made it this far in the conversation, uh, what are the you know what are the the most important ways that you know we can be supportive and continue to you know build a national movement around these issues? Like what what is the uh, yeah? I know that's a very broad question, but um, no, I think it's a great uh, question. Yeah, I would say if you're living in states that are putting forward anti-trans legislation. Google the trans organizations that are in your state, in your city, in your town, and figure out how you can support them as an ally. Um, if you are transgender, you know, know that you're not alone and there's community out there. And um, we need to really work to fight these things together. And I think more than anything, just, just try to show up for people. If you make mistakes, that's okay. I think people get super stuck on the pronoun thing. It's like, okay um it's not the end of the world um everyone has pronouns yeah um but if that's going to be the thing that's like tripping you up like there's lots of resources for that and also i, I think if you ask questions in a respectful way that's like hey i want to learn how to be supportive to transgender people is there a, a specific way i should ask about someone's pronouns um mm. a pro tip if you don't know someone's pronouns you can always just use their name turns out it works people respond to their name it's just one part of speech. There's others. There's other ways yeah. to construct a sentence if yeah. you need to. Yeah. And 
you know, I think also just talking with your community about it. Like if it comes at the din- up at the dinner table or you're out to drink with drinks with friends, like, and you feel like someone's saying something anti-trans, be like, hey, I don't know why you think that um, or um, where that's coming from. But I think we need to do better as a society of just including everyone. And that includes transgender people. Because I think oftentimes when you hear something, you're like, that doesn't sound right. But you don't always know what to say. And I think you could just say, hey, I don't think that sounds right. Um, yeah. Why are we saying that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had so many conversations where it doesn't need to be a confrontation. You don't need to go, God, mom, you know, and like yeah. shout at your family. You could just be like, yeah. well, uh, that's actually not accurate. You know, uh, I, I think when I, you know, the. The, the the trans people in my life would say X, Y, Z or whatever. And you could just yeah. present, totally. this is the perspective that I've heard that I know. And you know, your friend or family member at the very least will have to go, Oh, okay. Yeah. Or, you know, just have that, give them that little bit of moment of, yeah. of uh, conflict and let them give a little bit of pushback. It matters. You know, if people, if people only uh, listen to Bill Maher and never have a conversation, then, you know, they're never going to be confronted and never going to change. So you can, you can give them that pushback sometimes. <laughs> sorry, sorry to mention, sorry to bring up, uh, the, you know, the name of the devil. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think to me, it's like also just people are always like, well, I don't know a transgender person. And it's like, to be clear, we don't always know if we know a transgender person, like we don't know if someone's trans all the time. So yeah. And, you know, like you could be talking to someone who might be considering, am I transgender? And when they sear something really terrible come out of someone's mouth, that'll just push them further away from their truth. And I think, you know, liberty and justice for all is like an American value that we've at times done very well and at times done terribly wrong. Um, And I think we're in a moment in this country's history where we can do it right. And that includes transgender people. Well, man, this has been such a wonderful conversation, Shelby. Uh, where can people learn more about your organization and, and your work? How do people follow you? Yeah, our website is transgenderlawcenter.org. Um, and I think our Instagram, which is like the thing that everyone loves, is um, translawcenter. Um, and we have awesome content there. And just, you know, it's a it's a place to engage in culture, but also just dialogue around transgender rights and sort of what's happening around the country and how to support it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Shelby. I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you again so much to Shelby for coming on the show. If you want to learn more about the Transgender Law Center and their work, you can do so at transgenderlawcenter.org. I want to thank our producer, Sam Roudman, our engineer, Kyle McGraw, and everybody who supports this show at the $15 a month level on Patreon. I got some new $15 a month level patrons to shout out. Thank you so much to Francisco Ojeda, to Dark Adventure, to Yet Another Mike, to Pat, to Hayden Matthews, to Eric Zeger, Jen Hoffman, Rick Statton, Blake Kolb, Robert Irish, James Lynch, Chris Parker, Millennial Glacier, and Opal. Thank you to all of you so much for supporting the show. If you want to join them, head to patreon.com slash adamconover. If you want to see me on tour, head to adamconover.net for tour dates and tickets. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be with you next week on Factually. A podcast network. That was a HeadGum Podcast.